Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. We're walking through 1 Peter, so uh, do me a favor and everybody look down, find your Bibles, find a phone, go ahead and flip open, click open to, uh, to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter chapter 2 today, um, and uh, we are doing our best to cover as much of 1 Peter as we can before we hit Easter, okay? So it's going to be a chapter a week as we, as we walk through, and so last week we hit chapter 1, this week we're in uh, chapter 2. And uh, as you're, as you're kind of getting open, open to that, it's in the New Testament, all the, almost all the way at the end of their Bible. Um, I want you, though, to think about a, a group of people maybe that you would consider family. Right, a group of people that, that if you are around, you feel like you can just be yourself. They know you. They love you. They trust you. Regardless of, uh, of what you have done, they know you. Right? That, that flaws and all, like that is, those are your people. That is your tribe. And I know for me, I have a couple, a couple different groups. Right? I have one group, obviously my immediate family. So me and Sarah and the boys, like that's my crew. They know me faults and all. They know my successes. They know my failures. They probably can recall failures more than successes. Uh, but that's my, that's my tribe. That's my group. But then beyond that, when I grew up, I was really, really proud of my last name for whatever reason. I never heard anybody ever say like Andersons are the best or anything like that. But I remember just being very proud to be an Anderson and part of that heritage. And maybe you're the same way. It's your last name or, or your family that, that you grew up in. Um, I also have a, uh, a group of guys that I meet with uh, once a year. And there's four of us and, and we go away and, and, and we hold each other accountable and we talk about how we can push one another towards, towards holiness and push each other towards God and um, we get sunburned and all that stuff and it's great. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome time. But those guys, they know me, flaws and all on a very real and deep level. Like, so th- these, are, these are families that I am a part of, right? But I never really was adopted into a family. I never really, like, I, I, I came from a good family. Mom and dad were together. So I never went through that adoption process until I got married, right? And so when I got married, I felt like for the first time I'm being adopted into a family that, that is not my own. And I'm sure those of you who are married out here, good or bad, you have been adopted into another family. And so as I was kind of thinking through this, um, I was thinking back to mine and Sarah's first, first date together, right? Because this was really going to set the tone for everything. And so we were, we were young bucks. I was 20 years old um, when uh, I, I finally worked up the courage to ask out Sarah Bergstrom, okay? I was absolutely terrified. Guys, you've been there. If you've asked out a girl, absolutely terrifying. There's nothing scarier in your entire life than having to utter the words, will you go out with me, right? Like you stumble over them. None of them are even two-syllable words, right? They're just, they're, they're, they're just strung together. It's difficult for whatever reason. And so Sarah and I have been like hanging out in a group setting for a while and we kind of knew each other. And I was like, I want to go on a date with that girl. Because I knew two very, I didn't know her well, but I knew two very, very important things about Sarah, right? And any 20-year-old male who, who wants to love Jesus would, would need to have these two things uh, to pursue her. So the first and most important thing was that she loved Jesus, right? Like that was really important to me. So I knew she went to church. I knew all those things. And the second, almost as important to me as a 20-year-old male was that she was hot, right? So I knew those, those two things about my, about my future wife. That's all I knew 
about her. And I knew a couple, a couple other things that, that I knew that she had a, um, a family. Her mom and dad were together. I actually, in order to ask her out, I crashed a wedding. So that is a real thing. I crashed a wedding I wasn't invited to because I knew Sarah was going to be at the wedding. And I was like, dude, I can, I can get some slow dancing in with this girl that I really want to go. So, so anyway, so um, I, I, I understood she had good, good parents. And the other thing that I knew is that she had three brothers, right? And two of them are older. One of them's younger. Um, and so, uh, so I, I pull up to Sarah's house after I asked her out. And um, I, I get out of my, my bright green Honda Civic. And, and I'm, I, I was in Merced at the time. Sarah lived in Kingsburg. So I had like an hour and 15 minutes for me to think about every single thing that was going to go wrong as I walked up to the door or on the date or whatever, like, at, like palms are sweaty, like knees weak, you know, all of that stuff. You guys know the stuff. So anyway, anyway so I pull up there and, and I take this really long walk to 20, on, on 2400 Stroud Avenue all the way up to her door. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is when it happens. I have to knock on the door. I have to introduce myself to her family. Like, <sighs> and so I, I knock on the door and a, a, a large man answered the door who was uh, 22 years old and uh, shoulders about to, to hear uh, Un, unshaven, like that five o'clock shadow, and I recognized him as, as Sarah's older brother, Scott. Okay, and I, Scott and I have a great relationship now, but at the time, I did not know Scott, and so Scott opened the door. He did not smile. He did not greet me. He did not welcome me. He looked at me and deadpan said, so, you're the guy taking out my sister. And should he have not said, I'm just kidding, really quickly after that, I probably would have wet my pants. And Sarah and I never would have gotten together at that point, right? And so he, he invited me in and, and uh, you know, I met the other brothers who were there and, and uh, met her parents again. And, and off we were um, to a uh, first date to a Giants game. That's how I knew it was going to work. She was a Giants fan, I know, a Dodger fan who just rolled his eyes in here. Um, but... That being said, it's worked out, so, you know, it is what it is. But, but that was the first time that was really going to set the tone for our family because we have fun together. We have good conversations together. We love each other. Like, like we are, like, I have been completely and totally adopted into that family. And I had never, ever felt that before. And so when Sarah and I got married a, a year and a half later, like, I recognize that there were, some, there were some benefits, some major, major benefits to being a part of the Bergstrom family now, okay? The benefits were that, that, that I have a, a second great set of parents in, in Brad and Susan who love me, who bring different strengths to the table. Different, they support us in different ways than, than my family does, right? I have numerous brothers-in-law, and I've moved seven times over the course of the last 15 years, so you know that's helpful, right? And so there are benefits that came from me being adopted into the family. However, there's also responsibilities that come with it as well. Because I was no longer just Peter Anderson and Ed's son and Jenny's son and Michael's brother. Like all of a sudden I was Brad and Susan's son-in-law. And I was, I was uh, Scott and Ryan and Philip's brother-in-law. And there were responsibilities that come with that because now I bear their name as well as my own name. And so I, had to be res I have to be responsible with that. And I understand a lot of times what, what some of those responsibilities are, right? Like I understand my role in the family oftentimes. And I have to, I have to make good on those different responsibilities. And so for you, you probably have a group of people that you would say, yes, these are my people. 
These are the people that I both get, I benefit from being a part of their lives and also I have a responsibility to those different people as well. And I know for some of you, man, you guys didn't get to be lucky enough to marry into, uh, into my family and maybe that's a, a rough, difficult metaphor for you to look into. But, but the reality of this is all of 1 Peter chapter 2 points at this very thing. It points at us being adopted into a family and us reaping benefits from being a part of that family, but also us having responsibility from being a part of that adoption as well. So let's start going through. We're going to be in verse 1 here. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Peter here, we got to remember who Peter's writing to here, okay? Peter, in context, is writing to a group of exiled Gentile Christians. So they have never been part of a family before. Like they weren't Jewish. They weren't part of the, the, that Israel family, as it were, where they were always God's chosen people throughout the entire Old Testament, right? They're God's chosen people. They've always been a part of their family simply because of their heritage. So that feels a little bit more like the family that you were born into. Like you don't got a choice. You're a part of that family, like it or not. Okay, but this group of people, these Gentiles, have been adopted in to this family. They are now God's chosen people for the first time. And so he begins by telling Christians to put away some specific negative attitudes and actions. And he says, hey, you know what? Instead, we are supposed to kind of grow our appetite for, for the pure spiritual food that is available in Christ. Where can you find that pure spiritual food? Awesome. If it's in Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If that's where you're looking specifically, that's the gospel. Look to Christ's example in the midst of that. You want to know how to live your life? Look at Christ's example in the midst of the gospel. Why? Well, because Jesus is actually this lifelong or this forever eternity long prophesied cornerstone that scripture is talking about all the time. All the way back from from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament and onto his arrival on the scene in the Gospels. This is who we are waiting for. And we get to see an example that he is going to put forth. That Jesus is the precious, he is the chosen one. And those people who trust in him are also living stones in his house, is what Peter says. Right, so we have Jesus here as this cornerstone. That's the the most important stone in a foundation that you were laying of rock at the time, right? So they would get this squared up. And if that cornerstone was out of place, then everything else was going to be out of place. If that cornerstone was not cut well on the top, then everything stacked on top of it was not going to be cut well. Everything depends on the cornerstone of the house. And then... 
everything gets built around it. So when it talks about the fact that we are living stones, that means that we are to make sure that we are lined up with the cornerstone that, that has been put in place. We are lined up with Christ and everything else should come together as his house is made. And so it sounds great. It all sounds good. We're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to line up with Christ. I, get, I reap the benefits of, of being in heaven with him one day. I've got my ticket into eternal life. Like, I am good to go. No problem. But it addresses another group of people in here. It actually addresses a group of people who have said, you know what? I'm going to reject Christ. And those group of people, man, they are going to stumble over him. They don't understand it. They're frustrated by it. Okay? They say they hear the name Jesus, or more specifically, usually they hear the name Christian or church or Protestant or Catholic or whatever, fill in the blank, and they get angry for some reason. They stumble over that because they don't understand it. And how can you be so dumb and being controlled by religious services and all these different, like it doesn't make sense to that group of people. But the good news is, is, is for those of us who bear his name, for those of us who, who identify as Christians, we have been called out of that darkness into the light of God. Okay, that is where we find our identity. And so because of that, because of the fact that we bear his name, it matters how we live our lives now. It matters that we are living out of our identity Peter actually insists here that, that we change our understanding of where home is. That we actually have to begin to see ourselves as foreigners in this world, preparing to leave to be with, with, with the Father. And it's not easy to live that way. If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, this is difficult. If you're, if you're all in, if you're saying, yep, I'm 100% in, I'm going to live according to the word of God, I'm going to live according to Jesus' example, this is very, very difficult. But we have a responsibility to live that out. As we reap the benefits of eternal life with Christ, we also have a responsibility to the family of God. And so as I was kind of riding through this, and I always try to come up with some sort of like example, a metaphor, like how can I relate this to you, like the family adopted, like that sort of thing, right? And uh, sometimes God gives me really, really great sermon illustrations, right? That they just kind of fall into my lap and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This happened this week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this. Like good ones would always be like when we're talking about giving uh, and, and being, being generous and that sort of thing and I decide to be more generous that week and then God like cuts me a check for that exact amount from some, you know, person that I paid five years ago. That Like those are great object lessons because I end up with more money in my pocket than when I started, right? Amen? Amen. So, this week, though, God, God kind of pulled a fast one on me. He was like, you like those object lessons? How about this object lesson? And, and so I'm, I'm sitting here working on my message on identity, working on, on making sure that, man, we are living in such a way that if we have taken the name Jesus, that, that, that the whole world would know. Like, that's, that's the, the, the soft and fluffy side of it. And all of a sudden, I get an email. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock. I get an email. It pops up in the corner of my screen, and it says, your Chipotle order is ready. And I was like, oh. Cool. I mean, I didn't order Chipotle, but I mean, I'm not, not opposed to some Mexican food right now, right? Like Chipotle orders, right? All right, cool. And so I thought, okay, I didn't order this, first of all. So that's, that's a little bit of a yellow flag. But, you know, I have a wife who's homeschooling all of our kids. And, hey, if she wants to order Chipotle, I'm not going to say no to that, you know. So maybe she ordered it. And uh, then I thought, well, maybe someone was like really, really, really nice to, to our family and decided that, hey, we're going to order all of you Chipotle, 
But then all those things, it's like, but hold, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, who's, who's eating supper right now, you know? And so, uh, so I thought nothing of it and, you know, kind of wrote it off. And then all of a sudden, like 30 seconds later, I got another email. Your Chipotle order is ready. It's like, hold up. Okay, maybe Sarah forgot the guac. Like, I don't know, like, what, what went down. And so then 30 seconds later, a third email came through that said, your Chipotle order is ready. I'm like, time out. Something is wrong. So I opened my email, and I start looking through, and um, somebody had decided to hack my Chipotle account, right? Yeah, you guys are like, what, really? Chipotle account? Like, that's what they went after? Yeah, so now you know my net worth is Chipotle. So... So that being said, like, like they started going through. I was like, this is not okay. I looked at where they were ordering to. It was like some random city in Maryland. I was like, I don't, I've never even been to Maryland, but if that's where Chipotle is, maybe I should go over there. And so, so I get on the phone with my bank. I'm like, hey, someone's actively hacking into my account right now. Can you look at it? And as I'm on the phone, and guess there, I mean, it was so quick that <laughs> as I was sitting there on the phone with them, three more transactions went through for Chipotle. So at the end of this whole thing, over 200 of my dollars had been spent on Chipotle in Maryland, right? So here's the worst part about all of it, is I looked at their order. It was terrible. Like there was one that was like a burrito with meat, lettuce, and sour cream. I was like, who are you right now that you would order that? If you're going to go after my Chipotle, like at least, at least fill up the burrito. So anyway, I got my $200 back. Everything's been, been taken care of. Um, but it, it felt strange to me. It felt weird to me that, that somebody would use my name and do something with my name that, that, that was not becoming of me. That they would use my name to do things that I had not signed off on. That they would, they would use my, my, my name to do things that, that really would, would hurt the kingdom of God. And so when we think back to our identity and we think about who it is that you say that you are and you living out your identity in Christ, if you have called Christ your, you know, your Savior, if that is you, and you are acting in the same way that the Chipotle thief acted for me, then you are, you are taking advantage of the name of God. You're taking advantage of it because you're reaping the benefits of it. You're saying, yep, I have my ticket into heaven. I'm good for eternal life. And you're neglecting the responsibility. You have said yes to his name. You have said yes to that as a moniker, and now you have a responsibility to uphold that name. In the same way that last week I talked about when we drop our kids off somewhere, we say two things. We say, remember who you are. Your last name is Anderson, so you take care of that name. And secondly, remember whose you are. Your name is Christian. And so more importantly than Anderson, you represent Jesus to everybody around you right now. You said yes to him. And so because of that, it's our responsibility to live out that identity. And so it felt weird for somebody not to do that for me. It felt uncomfortable. And if we honestly, if we continue to operate outside of our identity in Christ, then we are probably facing a sin issue at that point. If we are consistently saying, yes, I am a Christian, but neglecting the responsibility of Christian, we're facing an ongoing sin issue because we belong to God, not ourselves. We don't belong to our spouses. We don't belong to our desires. We belong to God. And he tells us, and one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, but you, Christian, remember who he's writing to, Christian, 
But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It says once you you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this reads like, like a hype speech that you would give yourself when you're about to ask out Sarah Bergstrom for the first time in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's go. Like, you are a royal priesthood. And as I read this, I, I, any, uh, any Cool Runnings fans in here? 90s babies? Yeah, Cool Runnings, let's go. Okay, so it reminds me of a scene in Cool Runnings where, where, where there's this, this one guy who has no confidence, this other guy who has way too much confidence, and the one guy with no confidence walks into the bathroom and he's all depressed because a girl turned him down. And then the, the guy with tons of confidence walks in and he tells him, he's like, hey, Junior, I'm not going to try a Jamaican accent because I'll get made fun of and someone will get mad at me. He says, Junior, look into that mirror. What do you see? He says, I see Junior. <laughs> and the guy with confidence says, this is what I see. He says, I see pride. I see power. I see a bet and I can't finish the rest of it in church. Like it cusses and I'll get in trouble and someone will get even more mad at me. But that's who you are. It says you are a royal priesthood. You are God's chosen people. You are a part of his family, part of his tribe. You've been adopted in and you are his special possession. Like if there's, if there's something else that we're missing here, like God has said, yes, you're a part of my family. And now as part of his family, we get the responsibility of doing our best to tell other people about our family. Like, hey, come be a part of our family. Come be this living stone. Like we're set perfectly on this cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Come be a part of our family. And not just telling other people about it, but it tells us that we're supposed to, we're supposed to sing his praises. We're supposed to declare the praises of the Lord. That means that, man, when we're fellowshipping together and there's a whole bunch of dudes in there talking about a whole bunch of meat that I don't understand anything, I'm just happy to eat it afterwards. Then we're in there that we get an opportunity to fellowship with one another. We get an opportunity to declare his praises because of what he did for us. Or as you're walking in, you grab your coffee and your third donut, no judgment here. You get to declare his praises because of what God has done for us. Where you come in here and and we're singing to God and we're worshiping God through music. We get to declare his praises because of what he has done for us as we sit here and we open his word and figure out what he would have for us today. We get to declare his praises because of what he has done for us. And that's good. But here's the issue is that all I did was take you through church services. And a lot of us thought, yep, we're good. I'm done. Like, that's exactly right. That's when I declare God's praises. But there's 176 other hours during the week where we're not together. There's a whole lot of time where, where we don't get to sit together and fellowship together and sing together. And a lot of you are like, thankfully, don't have to listen to Peter try to make another joke together. Like, I'm happy for that time. Okay, but even in the midst of us not being together, it's our responsibility as Christians to continue to declare his praises over and over and over and over again. So that means when you're 20 minutes late for drop-off in school and you're yelling at your kids and your kids somehow forgot their shoes and you have to go back home to get your shoes, no judgment, I've been there, we get to declare his praises. Or when your kids sign up for another extracurricular activity or 
let's be real, another fundraiser that they have to do and hit up your parents for money again. That you get to declare his praises. Or when things are going terrible at work and you don't understand how a coworker could be so dumb, you get to declare his praises. Or you're going through something incredibly difficult, loss of a loved one, major life change. You get to declare his praises. Why? Because we're adopted into his family. Because we are a royal priesthood. We are chosen by God. I can't imagine anything better than that. And so the question then becomes, well, okay, that's great, but you already said that my salvation is secure. We've talked about that before, that once I place my faith in Christ, I, I already have my get-out-of-jail-free card. I get to go to heaven eventually. So why is it that I should spend my time living outside of my identity? Why is it that that matters? If I can just say I'm a Christian, why does the way I live my life matter? So let's look at verses 11 and 12 because Peter hits the nail on the head here. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So the reason is twofold then. Why is it that you should act according to your identity? The first of which is you just should be thankful that you have been chosen by God, that you are a royal priesthood, that we do get to consider ourselves part of his family. That should be enough. If you need more convincing, though, Peter tells us one more thing that has kingdom implications. Peter says that you should praise him and live lives worthy of your calling because other people are watching you. That's what this boils down to. Other people are watching exactly what you do and that as the pagans, Peter's words, not mine, are watching you and as they accuse you of doing wrong, that they would see your good deeds and see your good deeds regardless and because of the way you live your life, they would know that God is real and want to glorify him as well. As well, You living out your identity in Christ, you living out your identity with the moniker Christian is important not just to you not being a hypocrite, but it's important to the growth of the kingdom of God. That's what Peter is saying here. And last week I kind of glazed over the fact that your, your identity can be assumed by your actions, right? Remember I, I said briefly that if you're going 65 in the fast lane, I'm automatically going to assume you're a terrible person, right? You guys remember I said that? That's a quote from last week. And, 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 and rightfully so. I think most of us can say amen to that. But also if you order Chipotle on someone else's account and you live in Virginia, you don't share, I'm equally going to assume that you are a terrible person, okay? There are assumptions that go with action, so the way that you live allows people to assume things about your life, whether or not you know it or not. Like, like that person going 65 in the fast lane, like I don't know them. I don't know their politics. I don't know their religious views. They could be, they could be the Apostle Paul for all I know. Okay? But the action speaks a whole lot louder than me even, even knowing him. And so we need to be aware of that as Christians that people are actively making assumptions about you based on the way that you live your life. And so if you have said to yourself, yes, I am a Christian, if you had made a profession of faith in your life, if you would mark Christian on any survey that gets put out to you, if that is you, if you show up to church on Sunday and say, hey, brother, like if any of those things are you, you now have a responsibility to live accordingly. 
or else you're taking advantage of God's name. You're taking advantage of it. You're trying to reap all of the benefits without, without taking care of any of the responsibility. See, it's our responsibility to live in such a way that other people would come to know Jesus as well. And so Peter's like, hey, you know what? If you don't get any of that, if you don't get all of that, let me, let me tell you one more thing, one more why for you. It's all the way at the end of the chapter. We don't have time to go verse by verse, but we're going to start in 21. Go back and read all of 1 Peter. It's so good. But starting in verse 21, Peter says this. To this you were called. He's talking about submission at this point, like submitting. He talks about authority, um, and he talks about submitting to Christ as well. He says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trust, entrusted himself to whom? Who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So in the midst of this, Peter continues to remind people, hey, look, Jesus went to the cross for you. By his wounds, you are healed. That's the only reason you are a part of the family of God at this point. That's it. No other reason. You can't be good enough to earn your way into the family. It's simply not going to happen. So he reminds them of his identity. But more importantly here, Peter points out that, hey, if you're having a hard time with this, if you're having a hard time, like, suffering for my name or living out your identity, recognize that Christ did it first. Christ went to the cross first. Jesus did the very thing that Peter is telling us telling us, the, the royal priesthood that we should do. He said, hey, you were, you were called to live in such a way because other people are watching you live and Christ showed us how to do so by going to the cross. He says, hey, they, they insulted him even though he was innocent. He suffered and he made zero threats. He trusted his father so that when we get to the point of having to, to live out our identity in areas that seem both, both minuscule and massive, we would rise to the occasion because the kingdom of God is at stake. That's what Peter is telling these exiles, these Gentile believers. He says, hey, when people persecute you, when people turn their back on you, you need to live in your identity because when that happens, other people are going to recognize the kingdom of God through that. This isn't just a, a good idea because it's who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act. This is a calling on our lives, every single one of us, a responsibility that we now have as a member of the family of God. And with the privileges that come with being a part of this family, eternal life, we have a responsibility to act out that same identity so others can be a part of our family as well. So the question then remains, as we land the plane today, where are you today? Where are you personally today? Maybe you're one of those people that I talked about that, hey, you're, you know what? Yeah, I made a profession of faith when I was younger. Or I made a profession of faith a, a year ago, whatever. And you're, you're taking advantage of Christ. You're taking advantage of the name Jesus, reaping the benefits and refusing the responsibilities. Maybe that's you today. And maybe you need to have a hard conversation 
about who it is that you want to be, who it is that you want to be remembered as, I would encourage you to figure out where it is that you're living out of your identity. Maybe, maybe you're someone else. Maybe, maybe you're that person who said, you know what, yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I'm kind of killing this whole Christian thing. Like every single day I wake up and I read my Bible and then, you know, I come to Wednesday night dinners and uh, I'm at church on Sunday and, you know, every once in a while I even drop, drop some money in those black boxes back there. Like I'm doing fine in my Christian walk. Well, the good news is, is we have never arrived at holiness on this side of eternity, right? We, we, we never will arrive at perfection. And if someone tells you they have, run away from them as quickly as you can, because they haven't. And so I think this is probably the camp where most of us are going to land today. Where most of us have said, you know what? Yep, I, I do my best to serve Jesus. I do my best to, to honor Jesus. But I fall short sometimes. And, but, but still, I, I pick myself up the next day. And I, I apologize to God. And I do my best again. And so if that's you and you're like, you know what? I need to actively pursue this. There's always what's next. And so maybe, man, you've committed to Sunday mornings, great. But what's next for you? Is, is, is next for you maybe getting into a community of believers, a small group as we would call them? And, and not just for your benefit. So often, man, we've got this consumeristic mindset that I get into a small group because it's going to help me. Okay? Which, yeah, that should be part of it. It is going to build you up. It is going to help you. But small groups are in place for, for the body of Christ to build up other believers as well. So if you're like, I don't have anything. There's nothing for me at small group. Great. Go pour into somebody else. They need it. I promise. Right? Maybe that's your step. Maybe that's where you need to get to, to live out your identity in Christ. Or maybe you've been coming here for a long time and you have yet to wade into the waters of service at all. Now, it could be as simple as refilling donuts because someone took three earlier. Right? You need to refill donuts and shake hands. Or, or maybe it's as, as difficult as serving with junior hires because no one wants that job. Trust me, I had it. Like maybe that's your next step to say, you know what, yeah, to live out my identity, I'm going to serve the church in a greater capacity. But I'm going to wager that the biggest step that the majority of us need to take is the very step that Peter is talking about here. Not just living our lives according to what the Bible says, but also talking to other people about what it is that you believe. That I think most of us in here are pretty comfortable Pretty comfortable sitting here, pretty comfortable singing the songs, pretty comfortable listening to me preach a message, and pretty comfortable leaving afterwards. And while we're in here, man, we get the, that, you know, burning sensation inside of our, our belly, that Holy Spirit who's like, yep, this is you. You're being convicted right now. You're stepping on, to, he's stepping on your toes again. And then we walk out of here and nothing changes. And we haven't made that next step. We haven't gotten any closer to Jesus and the kingdom doesn't expand because we haven't been willing to have that next hard conversation. We haven't been willing to change the way that we live our lives in any way, shape, or form. And the kingdom doesn't grow because of it. And so to you today, Christian, live out your identity. Don't take advantage of Christ. Don't take advantage of that name. It's too strong. And you're going to break yourself against it every single time as well. You know, that last step that I saw talking about, talking to other people about Jesus, you know, one of the things that we say here, and if you've been here for a long time, you know, that we feel like that God has placed a group of individuals in your life 
for you personally to impact for the kingdom. We call this group your oikos. It's a Greek word. It means household. So back in biblical times, they would have their oikos, and it wasn't just made up of like members of their family, like my oikos is my kids. Yeah, that's part of it. But it was all of the people that were overseen in that household. So whether it be servants or people that worked for you or, or mothers-in-law or fathers-in-law or whoever lived with you at the time, they were part of your oikos. And so we say that our oikos are those people, usually we say 8 to 15 people, that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your life for you personally to make an impact in their life for the kingdom of God. And there's two ways to do it. You live your life like you're a Christian. You live out your identity. And then you talk about it. Both are necessary. Both are necessary. It's the same thing when we get to the Bible, like general and special revelation, right? General revelation, we can see what God did. We can see what he created around us. That would be the same as our actions. We can see what God did in people's lives. But then there's this other part, this special revelation that is the word of God. And so as we open the word of God, we can then understand what salvation is. How is it we come to a saving faith in Christ? And so you get the opportunity then to not just be a general revelation to the world, but a special revelation to your oikos personally. That there are people in your life who are literally on their way to hell. And we don't have the gumption as God's chosen people, as God's royal priesthood, to put on our big boy pants and go have a conversation. Want to live out your identity? That's how we do it. It's time to go, church. Like the time for being passive, like like those days are behind us. The time for being comfortable, those days are behind us. It's our responsibility now to share Christ's name because we already own it. We already are a part of it. We get to wear it. And if we're not doing it, we're taking advantage of a name that is far too precious to do so. Amen? Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, God, I, man, thank you for your name. Thank you for your name, God. That, that I, I pray, Father, that when people see me, they would not see Peter, they would see Christian. And God, I know I fall short. I fall short every single day of my life. But God, I've, I've been adopted into a new family. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you for making me a part of your family. And so God, I pray that I wouldn't just be excited about the benefits, but I would also recognize that I have a responsibility to this family as well. I have a responsibility to make your name look good. So other people would, man, would just stop and ask, like, well, hold up, why would you do that? Why would you be kind to someone when they were mean to you? Why would you, why would you do this? Why would you give of your income to the church? Like, why would you do ridiculous things like that? And it's because you love us first, you love us best, and we're a part of your family, and it's part of our responsibility. And so, Father, I pray today that the two different groups of people who are in here this morning, maybe, maybe you're a part of the first group who has not yet said yes to Jesus. You have not yet taken on that moniker, that identity of Christ. If that's you today, then I'll give you an opportunity to respond in just a second, but there is nothing greater than the benefits of Christ as well as the responsibility to his family. And it's the majority of the room. Maybe, maybe in here you have not 
begun or continued to live out your identity in some way. If that's you this morning, I just, man, I hope you would search your heart. Figure out where it is that you're, you're taking advantage of the name Christian. His good name. If you fall into either of those camps this morning, you can just pray along with me. You can re-up. If you want to be a part of the family of God, you want to solidify your place next to the cornerstone. Simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm sorry for those sins. I repent of those sins. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And he conquered death. And I don't take that lightly, Father. And because I don't take that lightly, I would see, choose to follow you every single day to make your name known, to make your name look good. Because it has kingdom implications. Father, help me wear the name Christian well. We love you. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.